Tribe Talk. Tribe Talk is a podcast created to elevate your life through real talk, true stories, and great debates, with some fun sprinkled in. We dive into all things lifestyle, health, and wellness to expand your knowledge and guide you towards living your happiest, healthiest life. I am Sam. And I am Emily. And we are your hosts. This week, we are returning back to our chat with Dr. Joshua Woolrich. We had so much to talk about, we had to make this into two podcasts. So listen up, because the doctor is in session. Um, by the way, when Ooh. we ask our, um, our guests something people may not know about you, I think yours may be my favourite ever. Yeah? I think it's quite a good one too. He, so Sam, you don't know this, but he auditioned for S Club Juniors when oh he was younger. God. I love the S Club. <laughs> I mean, I do too. S Club. I mean, I could be the male member of the Saturdays right now, had I had I got far enough. Were they auditioning for men for the Saturday? Oh no, because no, no. The, the Saturdays <laughs> are the female members of S Club Juniors, aren't they? Oh yeah, that's true. What happened <laughs> uh, to the men? Yeah. Extrapolate. I, they were rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> they very good, were they? Let's be honest. S Club Juniors was terrible, but S yes. Club was amazing. Yes, and uh, and I was a bit of an amateur dramatics child, and so I loved to sing. So I went, I went to the audition. Uh, it was quite, it was quite horrendous. Like <laughs> you were all, they, they lined you all. Like I didn't get to meet. You know when you, you know when you watch like Pop Idol or well, what it used to be called Pop Idol or X Factor yeah. or whatever on TV. You just see the the auditions in front of the judges. Yeah. There's a whole load of auditions before that. Yeah. Loads. And they put people through who are really bad and put people through who are really good to, yeah. to make good TV. Um, so my first, the audition was like 20 kids all lined up in a row. We only had four or five songs we could pick from. Mine was Never Have a Dream Come True because that's clearly the best S Club song <laughs> for a ballad. Uh, and uh, all of us were singing the same song in a row. And they, these these kind of like talent scout slash pre-audition people were just walking along the road, listening to us all sing, trying to pick out people that they thought sounded good. Oh, my God. It really? It was, yeah. I feel like I'm, I, I feel hard done by. Do you want to get off the food? Yeah. <laughs> I what? No, I'm not. No, it's not no. happening. No. No. <laughs> I, think I might know all the words still, but it's still not happening. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so funny. The uh, the girl we had on last week, I realized we we shared a um uh we both had auditioned for Stars in Their Eyes Kids. Do you remember when that was? Oh really? On? Yeah. Oh. Tonight, yeah. what was his name? Matthew. Matthew Kelly. Matthew. There we go. Tonight, Matthew, I'm gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> who would what you were be? you auditioning as? Like who what 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 um what ginger child prodigy had you auditioned as? Well, that's the thing. I complete. I didn't get on because oh. I think I went <laughs> as like Leanne Rhymes or something like that. Like somebody that I just didn't. It Look was like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite cool. I didn't realize there was a junior version. I knew about the adult one. Yeah. But I'd never seen the. Was it? Was I bet the junior one was really cringy. Probably. I mean, I I don't think I watched it, and after I didn't get on it, I was. You can't audition and not watch it. Yeah, you can. They they oh. they denied me. I'm not going to watch something oh. I wasn't. It's like <laughs> it's like I have a hard time with Harry Potter movies. Why? I, I should have been Ginny Weasley. 
<laughs> Did you audition for Ginny Weasley? No, but I should. Well then, well then, you can't you can't say that because <laughs> otherwise you're just then you know no that's that's illogical. You can't yeah. do that. <laughs> I have a hard time with Harry Potter movies because they're all terrible actors. And they're like so four. bad. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> from so number four bad. onwards, they're fine. But the first three are just cringy as anything because yeah. they're so terrible. Because they weren't they weren't picked for their acting prowess. They were picked for looking like what they thought the actors should look like. Yeah, <laughs> what's crazy is that they're rebooting it. What? Really? Somebody said. Somebody told me. I think my husband said. That already. I don't know already if it's soon or they're like thinking about it soon. Some, I don't know. I don't know the facts. Really? I just heard that statement and I thought that's crazy. They missed out so much in the films though, so they need to reboot yeah, it. You need to make them longer. Really? You really want five hour long Harry Potter movies? Uh, yes, yeah. they did it with Lord of the Rings. They can do it with Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings is a better story. Oh no, I can finish Lord of the Rings. <laughs> what? Sam, Lord of the Rings is amazing. Really it's a better story. I watched the first one and I was just really bored. So I didn't watch anymore. How are we friends? I watched them like about a year ago and I really tried, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We've gone completely off topic here. Yeah. I know. Well, that's because you brought up the, the S Club 7 thing. The that's 90s. Why, the S Club 7 thing. Yeah. But I think we've done a nice all around the houses approach to there weren't any like big arguments either which is slightly disappointing no i'm joking i'm I'm joking (laughs) (laughs) i don't like i I, I think i think i'm relatively balanced that's the problem i think that's why i don't understand why people get annoyed at me so much yeah i like very like balanced about it and i think emily was just thinking because because like I'm vegan and you're like balanced about things, she thought we would have some kind of fight. <laughs> oh, there's nothing. So what what come up quite a lot recently because it's because it's been relatively close to January is the is the vegan is the the veganuary is that how you pronounce it yeah. thing. Um, and I like I don't know. I have a slight problem with veganuary as a premise, not from an ethical and moral perspective, because that side's great. But the problem I have is that there's a lot of misinformation about how being vegan is inherently healthier than not being vegan or being vegetarian. And it's all, it goes back to that whole stuff of going, you know what, yeah, eating more veg is healthier for you. But we're, we're, we're leading people down a route where they're, it's encouraging some, uh, some misinformation and some misbeliefs around food. Um, so, yeah, I think we should all be eating less meat, 100%. But I don't think that veganuary is the way forwards necessarily. Uh, I think a lot. There are quite a lot of people. Not that it negates the the good stuff that that being vegan is. But there are a lot of people that go down that route to hide stuff around their eating behaviours, um, and we need to try and tease that apart if we can. I think because there's, yeah. I think there there is. It, it's not doing veganism a good service either, because it's it's creating a problem where people are then associating being vegan with disordered eating when it shouldn't be no but it's but it's a very easy diet to fall into with disordered eating because it's incredibly restrictive or it can be anyway i don't Um, think i don't feel like it's very restrictive um i think especially now because there's so so much on the market that you could like you could basically eat you know all these meat substitutes are out for instance say if you you 
went vegan, especially now, even from when I first went vegan, there's so much out there that you could basically eat the same meals as you eat being a meat eater, but with vegan substitutes. I think it's, you could, it's really not restrictive. But then you could, you could, uh, and again, just to clarify, I love you. It's fine. Don't worry. Um, But (laughs) you could use that same argument with Weight Watchers, for example. So Weight Watchers points they have their own is it is it weight watchers or is it the other one that has their own brand of food sins didn't they yeah but they but they have their own brand of food right in the supermarket so they'll have weight watchers potato and it's like oh no it's not restrictive because you can find a weight watchers alternative and so putting the moral side the moral and the sustainability thing aside for a second because those are both great things and yeah. i don't want to negate the the importance of those two things being able to find alternatives isn't doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that something isn't inherently restrictive. So, being on Weight Watchers and only being able to eat off their plan is inherently restrictive, even though you can find lots of things that fit on the plan, because it's still restricting you from types of food that you're therefore not allowed. And so, if you're not allowed meat because it's ethically or sustainably immoral, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But there are people that that go into this not allowing themselves to have meat or not allowing themselves to have animal products out of them being unhealthy for you. And so you've got an issue where that, that kind of decision is being made based on a fear of food, based on a fear of being unhealthy, rather than based on a positive, I don't want to kill animals or I don't want to be... I, I want to be as sustainable as possible for the planet, which mm. is a great reason to do it. But it's not, especially over, over January, it's not the reason why a lot of people do it. A lot of people want to reset their health in January, for example. And so they use that as an excuse to be, to be healthy or to, go on a, or to go on a diet. Or it's like, oh, yeah, but you never, see a, you never see a fat vegan person, so it must be the best diet to lose weight. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who think that that's what it's for and that's what it does and that that's my issue with it i guess is but i but you know yeah. i'm only going into this because you maybe bring it up again <laughs> <laughs> no I, I get where you're coming from with it then i yeah cool if you're doing it i don't think it has to be I'm doing it. this is the <laughs> thing about this is the thing about things being um problematic but not inherently bad mm-hmm. right so yeah. So just because something is problematic, it doesn't mean that it will be a problem. Yeah. So being vegan for some people might be problematic if they're at a place in their relationship with food where it becomes a new method of restriction for them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are lots of people with whom that restriction is for a particular reason. So for example, if someone is allergic to nuts, they will restrict nuts from their diet. That's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, but you wouldn't be going up to them going, you know what, you start your relationship with food because you're restricting nuts. It's like, no, nuts kill me. Like that's fine. (laughs) So, so restrictive isn't inherently bad, but restrictive can be problematic. Yeah. Like I get what you're saying. And I did first go vegetarian and vegan for my health in terms of the, like the bowel disease I had because it just made me feel healthier. Um, but then, you know, as I've kind of got more into it, then I've, the main reason I am vegan is the ethical and sustainable part of it is such a huge thing for me. Um, that's my kind of main reason. So, yeah, I get what you're saying. And yeah. again, it's not, my, it's not my job to judge whether your reason's valid. 
again, yeah. which I think a lot of people do on the internet quite quickly, but it's like, but I, I'm choosing to do this or I'm choosing to lose weight, mm-hmm. especially the weight one. And people go, yeah, but your reason for wanting to lose weight isn't valid. And it's going, well, that's, I mean, come on guys. Like yeah. <laughs> it might not be, but that's not the way to tell people. Like that's not okay. <laughs> like you can't just go around telling people that the reason they're choosing to do something isn't valid because that's not, that's not okay either. And that's what I've, that's what I've said a lot of the times on my Instagram is that I'm, I, I'm not here to promote weight loss anymore. But if you want to lose weight, I'm not going to tell you not to. But yeah. what I'm going to do and what you need to be willing for me to do if you're going to follow me is I'm going to point out the possible problematic nature of whatever method you choose so that you're aware of what could come from what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like it, it might not come. Like if you, if you choose to, to, to go on an 800 calorie day for a month, I can point out lots of reasons why that would be problematic and I'm going to hold you accountable to that, but I'm not going to tell you you're not allowed to do it because I'm not your parent and, and it's not my place. Yeah. So that, I I think we need more people doing that. I think we need more people that are going to, you know, so I had someone message me today who said, my friend is going to, is raving about Michael Mosley's 800 calorie a day diet. Um, and she's going to a talk by him. What, what, how do I, how do I convince her that this is, that this is really harmful? And I said to her, I said, you know what? She's going to do, she's going to do what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. So let her do her, you do you and just keep, you're her friend, right? So just keep an eye out on her for her that she doesn't start going down a route that, that is harmful for her. Like, you know, if, if, if all the time we just start telling people that what they're doing is wrong, we're not, this is, this is not how we change the world. We're not going to convince people that dieting is bad by telling everybody to stop dieting. Yeah. And, and we're, I think we, we have the risk and the potential to be doing more harm than good by being dogmatic the other way. Just like you said at the beginning about people refusing to admit the, that there is a link between weight and health. Um, is actually doing more harm than good. And I know where it's come from. It's come from the fact that as doctors and healthcare professionals, we've done, we, we've kind of, we've done more harm than good. And we've also almost lost the right to talk about weight and health anymore because of how much crap we've done. But that doesn't justify ignoring the nuance in the data and the nuance in the science and the fact that things aren't black and white. Yeah. So I love the fact you're vegan. Keep it up. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you if you ever want to have an interesting chat with me, not on this podcast, because again, it wouldn't be my place, about Crohn's and IBS and fibromyalgia and what parts of your diet may have scientifically had an impact or what bits might not have, more than happy to have that chat. But in the end, your symptoms are better, right? So whether or not it happened in exactly the way you think it happened doesn't really matter. Yeah. Like you know, you're, you're, you're at a better place with your food now, with your relationship with food, I would hope. Yep. So you're at a better place physically in your health. You're at a better place with your relationship with food. It's, why, would it, why is it my job to, to spend my time convincing you you're wrong? Like, that's not, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I could be wrong as well. So, <laughs> you know, even if I think I'm right, what does that achieve? Yeah. If, for example, let's, let's put this in a different way. If, for example, you went, you decided to cut out all meat from your diet, you were convinced it solved your problems, 
But actually, where you're currently at is actually being detrimental to your relationship with food because you've chose because you've cut out all that meat, and actually, it's caused a problem from a restrictive nature, which mm-hmm. it hasn't. But what I'm saying is, for some people, that can. It then might be appropriate to ha- to try and have a conversation with you. And go, let's look at this from a general perspective, and let's see whether meat is actually something that has to go. Yeah. But that, but it's it's really important to be able to have that balance, to be able to have those conversations, be open to those conversations, but also know when those conversations are utterly pointless, yeah. and they don't matter, and they don't they don't benefit anything. That's that's the thing. If you were going around on Facebook forums telling everybody with Crohn's that they need to cut all meat from their diet because it will fix their their condition, I might have a word with you. You see what I mean? <laughs> be, yeah. Because that might not be evidence based. It, it might work for you, but it might, but it's not evidence based for the general population. And actually, giving out that kind of advice may well harm more people than it benefits. Yeah, no, like so I get it's, that. It's really and important I do. to understand that that, yeah. that difference. Oh yeah, for sure. And I know, like everybody's so different, and everybody's disease, you know, is so different. How where it is in your body, how it affects you, and how it's kind of came to be. Um, so, you know, even if I'm speaking to somebody who, who has it and, you know, I'll say this is what worked for me. Maybe you want to try it. Maybe you don't. But I, I, I just say this is how like how I healed. But I'm mm. not like, you must do this or you won't heal. Yeah, <laughs> you know? you're not a pushy yeah. vegan. No, I'm just like, <laughs> I, I share what works for me because I know like I've came through all this, that dark place in my life with all the illnesses. And I kind of know all the steps that I took to get better. And I don't, I can't pinpoint which singular thing. I did a whole ton of things. Um, so I, I think it's kind of, commu- I can't say that word, cumulation, whatever that cumulation. word is. <laughs> of all these things that have helped me get better. But that's, yeah. a really ba- that's a really balanced view, which often is missed and often is lost with a lot of this stuff. And yeah. I think that's the whole reason why I have such a problem with the celery juice fad at the moment is that there's no balance. There's no acknowledgement of, oh, maybe it's not actually the celery, but maybe it's just that they're drinking more water every day, <laughs> which is why their skin is better. What's like, do you know what I mean? There's stuff like that where what's so it's, funny uh, that you, it's funny that you brought this up because I was wondering if you were going to say anything about it. <laughs> because only because my, so my best friend, she mm. was diagnosed four years ago with um, terminal cancer. And she was she was only given two years to live, and she's still here, and she's doing amazing. Um, she went vegan. First off, that, first off that's great. Yeah. One. Doctor, um, second, doctors aren't always right, so we do sometimes get our timings very wrong, yeah, which is a good thing. Um, so she's she's done a lot of the kind of we both got sick around about the same time. Well, I got sick a bit before her, so we've both kind of done similar things. Mm. Um. Anyway, so she's been doing the celery juice thing and I'd seen that you'd been posting about it so I wondered if you'd bring it up um because she was speaking to me the other week about um I think she's done it she's done it for two months now um and she's seen like all these like changes within her um she was having blurry eyes from the chemo it was like doing something to her eyes and it's kind of fixed that her eyes are going whiter her skin's better she's feeling more energized all the like she told told me all these things I messaged her this morning and said go and just tell me what that was again just in case this comes up just to say like and I'm not saying everyone must go and sell your juice but I'm just saying it is working for some people and it is helping some people with some things but it might not work for somebody else potentially so I think I think the question is um 
the question is why? Mm-hmm. Why is it working? Yeah. Because because we so from a medical perspective, there are so many things that can help, irrelevant as to what it is. So, for example, there are some amazing things in regards to how placebo works on the body. Yeah. So when when we so particularly with pain, and pain is something that is has a massive psychological component to it. Um, but with pain, if if you're given um, a tablet for pain that is a placebo that doesn't do that hasn't got any active medicine in it, that's literally just chalk, um, people's pain will improve. Now, does that mean that chalk improves pain? Yeah. No, like it's not the chalk. It's not the stuff that's in the tablet. It's the act of taking the tablet. And we know this because if you inject water into someone's veins for pain relief, the act of injecting has a better pain relieving effect than the tablet, even though, again, you're still not giving them any actual active pain killing ingredient. So there are, the method makes a difference. Yeah. The sub, you know, the the um, the belief makes a difference, but even so strangely, and I don't, I can't wrap my head around this one. Still, when you tell people this is a placebo, it has nothing in it, their pain still improves. Oh, really? Not as much as if they don't know it's a placebo, but even when they know it's a placebo, their pain improves when you give them a tablet, even though you tell them this has no pain killing effect. It is a placebo. We're just going to give you this. Yeah. It still improves their pain. So our body is amazing and it does wonderful and weird things. But there is such and such an impact of placebo and such an impact of what we call confirmation bias. So if we think that something is going to happen by doing something, yeah, it's gonna work. It it almost all the time there is an element to that then happening. And that's why there's so much stuff around positive mindset in regards to um in regards to job interviews and in regards Mm -hmm. to kind of being able to succeed in life and do things because it makes a big difference. Our mindset is hugely important. So if we are drinking celery juice and we've heard all this stuff about what it does, because we can't, people that start drinking celery juice know what it's meant to do. Like, because that's how they've seen it. That's how they've heard about it. Right. So they, let's look at something like nausea from chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Chemotherapy, nausea, waxes and wanes anyway. Okay. So it's, there are going to be some weeks where it's better than others, and there are going to be some weeks where it's not quite doesn't have quite as much of an impact. Nausea is something that has a big psychological aspect to it. Um, so you've you're now drinking celery juice, and you've been told that it improves symptoms. And let's say you've been told it improves nausea. Let's say you haven't necessarily been told it improves nausea, but you've been told it improves all sorts of other things. Yeah. You start drinking it, believing it's going to do something beneficial. If you didn't, you wouldn't bother drinking it, right? Even if you're like, oh, well, I don't really believe it's going to do something, but I'm just going to try. There's still an element in it because otherwise you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't drink it otherwise. Mm -hmm. So there is an element of confirmation bias there already where you start drinking something you think is going to have an impact and it has a beneficial impact. And actually, you know what? That's great. Like if if she, let's say it is nausea, if she's no longer as nauseous, great. She's managed to be less nauseous without taking... Um, without taking any anti-emetic drugs, which do have side effects to them, but we know have a definitive mechanism of action against nausea. But she hasn't had to take those. She's just had to drink celery, which in the end, it's not, it's not really harmful. Like it's celery, right? And it's, it's a bunch of water. The issue becomes when 
I think we're starting to lose faith and starting to lose an ability to critically appraise science because we are unable to separate the 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 evidence-based science from the anecdotal and the confirmation-based science and so for example things like eczema eczema I've, I've got a friend who's a consultant dermatologist and she's much more clued up about this stuff than i have than i am but eczema is is a very um changeable condition skin condition there are weeks when it will go away there are weeks when it will come back it'll be horrendous and so it waxes and wanes it's massively affected by things like stress. It's massively affected by things like sleep. Um, it's minimally affected by things like diet, but it's very minimal. Uh, and people are drinking celery juice and their eczema is going away. And it's amazing, but it's not the celery. That's the thing. Yeah. Because we don't have a valid mechanism of action for it being celery. Like there has to be some understanding and appreciation of the human body and how the human body works and how physiology works to be able to understand that actually there is no plausible mechanism of action here for celery causing eczema to go away mm -hmm. now does that mean that people's eczema isn't improving no but then we have to start thinking okay what's the most likely what's the most likely reason now what's the most likely scenario is it that celery actually has this magical property that we never knew of which could be, but it's very unlikely. Or is it the fact that they think it's going to do something good yeah. and they're hydrated more than usual? And actually, when you do something like that, when you start on a new process, your stress actually goes down because you start having confidence about this and you're doing this kind of stuff. And some of this stuff just coincides with their eczema getting better. But then that fuels the impression that it's the celery and they keep doing it. And so it, it, that placebo effect is amplified already. Yeah. But then they tell someone else and then they tell someone else and then and, and it becomes a frenzy of this is going to cure you. And of course, the more frenzy there is, the more likely it is going to cure you. Yeah, because yeah, it's, so, it's so hard. Your belief is so. Yeah, so exactly. And, and healing. And, yeah. and I have no problem. So that's the thing. I don't actually as a doctor, I want people to be better. Right. So yeah. that's great. My problem isn't with the fact that people are getting better. My problem is the fact that, as I said, it's, it's starting to fuel a, a mistrust because as doctors, we're saying this doesn't do anything. And the public are going, yeah, but it does do something. Look. So clearly doctors know nothing. They don't know what they're talking about. And it's, so it's, it's becoming a problem <laughs> because yeah, it, it's, it, people take this stuff personally. So even though I say celery juice doesn't actually do anything, it doesn't mean that I'm telling you you're lying. Like that's not, do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I'm not telling you that you're making it up. What I'm telling you is you're getting better, but it's not celery. But that's okay. It doesn't really matter. Just keep doing it because something's working and you're getting better and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But it becomes an issue when, I, so I'm really glad, for example, that your friend is still taking chemotherapy mm -hmm. because it becomes an issue and we're seeing this more and more and more where people are stopping the treatment that is definitely making them better and is definitely keeping them alive in favor of something like placebo can only go so far. Confirmation bias can only go so far. Your symptoms can get better, but your cancer's not going to get smaller. That's that there is an extent to how much power we have from mindset and from, you know, symptomatic relief, massively so. Yeah. 
But if there is a cancer, for example, in someone's breast that is a certain size, it's not going to go away if someone stops taking chemotherapy. If it's sensitive to chemotherapy and it's getting better and someone stops it because they've been told that actually it's, it's killing them and they need to just eat this food or they need to go on an alkaline diet, people are dying because they're stopping this kind of stuff. And that's the problem that I have. That's the reason why I'm addressing stuff like celery juice, even though in the grand scheme of things, I mean, come on, it's celery. It doesn't really matter, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's because I do see the real harm that some of this stuff does. And the person that proper, that's propagating the celery juice, the medical medium, talks a lot of nonsense that is very harmful about all sorts of other things to do with the human body. Okay. And so it's, it, it might feel like I'm having a go at celery juice, but I'm not. Like I'm, I'm sure it tastes crap and people don't like the taste of it. So that's but whatever, each to their own. But it's the, it's the concern that I have from the real harm that I see this stuff having mm-hmm. when it's celery juice one day and then the next day it's an alkaline diet to cure your cancer. And it means that people then stop going to the doctor and people end up dying. And it's, I, that's, not, that's not an extrapolation on my part. It's not a figure of speech. That's actually happening. Yeah, I um, had um, and it's a, a concern. I had a doc, one of my doctors that I teach was telling me how she had a girl who'd come in with like quite a small um, cancer in her breast. And she chose to do the alkaline I think it was alkaline diet or something similar and then I think it was about three years later she came she came she saw her again but she was in the kind of end of care and mm. she oh, she didn't make it because she just chose not to go down the scientific route I mean we, we science doesn't get everything right and we can't treat every disease right but there are certain things that we know we have treatments for we know this stuff works. It's been tested time and time and time and time again. And I don't, I don't understand the ethical basis of people just, I mean, it's, oh, it's a bit like vaccines, which is a whole other conversation. But we, we've got something we know that works and we're starting to become afraid of the unknown. We're starting to become afraid of doctors. We're starting to become afraid of medicine, afraid of chemicals. And it's creating an environment where people are getting symptomatic relief from from vegetables, which is great, but that's coming along with it a a distrust. And I'm I'm slightly concerned as to the next 10 years because I'm not convinced it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm going to admit, I am one of those people. I think just... I am I'm very like cautious about taking any type of medication mm. unless you know I really need like of course like I've I know like if it was between life and death I would take it but um if I've ever been at the doctor for something and she's maybe said you know going on antibiotics or something I'm, ve- I'm very like I'm gonna try and get better first before I like take them because i I don't know. I've just read a lot and <laughs> listened a lot, and you just kind of take that on. And I think going through the illnesses that I went through and being on all this medication that only made me feel worse, um, and I didn't feel like it helped me at all. And then kind of going down my own route of healing, I guess mm. that's probably where it's came from the most. But like, I, I do get what you're saying that it's quite scary if people like really do need the medication, and then they're they're thinking actually I'm not going to take it because. Of things I've heard 
then yeah I think it's so I would say I mean again it's not my my place or my job to tell you what to do but even with things like antibiotics um yeah the, the difficulty is that we have to tease apart both things so one antibiotics are over prescribed so yes. there are going to be lots of situations where antibiotics aren't needed yeah. the difficulty with that is it means that it validates your decision not to take them right mm-hmm. so if you're at a point where you're then offered them or you're given them you don't take them and you get better anyway that's not because antibiotics don't work that's because you didn't need them in that situation yeah. right so that's but that's the difficulty it's really hard when when looking at this stuff anecdotally and personally to see a bigger picture like that and it, i know it's hard for myself too like it's not it's you know because our our personal experiences mean so much mm-hmm. and that's that's how we're wired that's how we've grown up to be because and that that gives us a genetic advantage because we learn from our personal experiences but yeah. the problem is is that there are going to be times when you do need antibiotics and for example let's say it's let's say it's a um let's say it's a urine infection right so you you get a urine infection you need antibiotics to treat that urine infection we know that there that when people have recurrent urine infections that can increase the risk of things like bladder cancer because it can change the the pH of the urine changes it can change the way that the cells react in the bladder and all sorts of things so treating that that urine infection earlier is better for all sorts of reasons not only does it symptomatically help you but it also you know then kind of reduces the risk of things happening down the line and so that's my concern from some of this stuff that even the more even the benign stuff like even as doctors we don't fully know the implications of not of not treating this stuff early enough but we're finding this stuff out because a lot of the time we do treat it and it and it gets treated but we we're seeing some of the long-term complications from countries that don't have antibiotics and from seeing people that aren't taking them anymore and so that kind of stuff it still does it still does concern me we need to understand the risks of it so antibiotics wreck our gut we know that but it's a price it's it's an understanding of a benefit risk everything in life is a benefit risk when we leave the house and we cross the road it's a risk like we could get hit by a car but we're choosing not to stay indoors because the benefit of going out is outweighs the benefit of staying in, right? So we, you know, as much as a doctor is not always right, we do have an insight in regards to medical benefit and risk because that's what we spend our whole lives learning about and treating patients for. And so if, you know, I, I just, it concerns me that sometimes people are going with the assumption that we're not actually trying to help. And I'm not saying you specifically, but there are people now who are going to the doctor with an assumption that they don't know what they're talking about. That's their that's their set rule. That's how they start. And if the doctor manages to convince them otherwise, that's great. Mm-hmm. But it's I think that's a dangerous place to start in because we are like we don't know everything, but we know more than you. And that's not me being big headed. That's just because we've studied it yeah. in regards to medicine. Now we don't know more about your symptoms. You're, you know more about your symptoms than I do because I don't have the, the condition you have, right? But in regards to the mechanism of how this disease works and how this medicine is meant to work and how, you know, the, the process and all that kind of stuff, mm. we know more of that than you do. And so we need to work together from a, you know more about the symptoms and how it's actually affecting you. And I know more about what could and could not help and why this is affecting you because I know the pathophysiology behind it. Let's work together. And, that, and we should be working together from that. But unfortunately, I feel like 
sometimes we're in a situation where we're, we're working against each other rather than working together yeah. because we're coming at it from a don't you don't you dare try and prescribe me drugs because that's a bad idea and I'm going yeah but I know that some of these will help <laughs> and so I'm fighting a losing battle mm. um, and the, the the biggest example of that is is vaccines is that sometimes I come across fighting a losing battle of going you, you've you've read this stuff and you've heard this stuff that that medically isn't true but I can't convince you of that and so I don't know what to do that's it's I'm I that's why I'm that's why I'm that's why if anything it's easy to 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 address celery juice because that's an easy thing to talk about yeah. it's easy to talk about without or should be easy without hurting too many people's feelings although it doesn't always <laughs> be that way either and there's just there's just so much like now in this day and age where we can just go on the internet and you know I'm so guilty of googling all my symptoms and you know, I, I knew I had fibromyalgia before the doctor told me because I'd like Googled it so much, but the, there's so much information out there and some of mm. it can be like wrong because anybody can write anything and put it on the internet. Mm. Um, and that can be helpful though, because for example, you know your symptoms better than the doctor does, right? So, but what's not helpful is going with a lack of willingness to be wrong. Yeah. So just like from both sides of the argument, if you Google something and go, you know what, my symptoms fit this, yeah. or they, they fit this according to Google, but sim- like, but again, this stuff is so complicated. Yeah, no. that it, you know, flipping six years at uni just to get a very basic understanding of this stuff. Yeah, and yet a twenty-minute Google search, and I know what my condition is. And you mm-hmm. might be right, and do you know what I mean? But sometimes you're not, and the problem is, is that you come going, I have this. Yeah, and then the, and the doctor goes, mm, well, actually, that doesn't really fit. And some people are like, no, it does. I'm yeah. unwilling to admit, I'm unwilling to even have a conversation that it might be something else. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that, it, it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I personally think we need to have lots more doctors like you in <laughs> the NHS. Because it's like, it's been so incredible to chat to you and learn. I feel like I'm smarter. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you I don't, it's always hard to take compliments that's a horrible thing to try and respond to but I yeah that would be I, I, I think we need more doctors that are willing to be wrong and also willing to understand that, that nuance is important we ignore that a lot I think especially when it comes to patient symptoms where they go but my symptoms aren't better and we go yeah well, well yeah, it's fine because it's working and it's like well <sighs> nuance people like it, it might be working medically, but but the patient is more than just the medical aspect. Like it's it's also how they're feeling. So if you ignore all of the symptoms, which often have a big correlation to how they're feeling and how they feel they've been treated, and how then we're we're not doing anyone a service really. I just feel like one of the biggest parts that for so many illnesses is kind of like mental and emotional and kind of what's going on in your like stress. Really, I think that's like one of the huge one of the biggest things um do, have, have you read like any of joe dispenza's work he has a uh, book the placebo. Don't think so. oh yes no yeah i have yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. his work is so interesting because it's all mm. related to the like neuroscience and the mind and how you know kind of stress is kind of causing so much disease in society and they've done like mm to test and stuff like his work is so interesting i'm actually going to his workshop next month and i'm so excited um, oh, cool. but yeah it's just like really fascinates me like that aspect mm. of it and i don't know if maybe that's what's maybe missing 
from like doctors at the moment like would you would you agree with that like kind of taking the patient if a patient went into the GP and like presented them with their symptoms and they would be like okay like I've got psoriasis for instance um okay we'll like take this cream or go to light therapy and then you know it's going to clear it up but actually my psoriasis only comes out when I'm really stressed but they might not like kind of speak to the patient about like well kind of what's causing like like I said like get into the root cause instead of just like covering it up because that's how I always felt like I was treated at the doctors and then I know I'm I'm only judging this from my experience um but I always felt like I was just kind of given pills or given something to clear up and not actually they they didn't kind of go into the background and think like why is this happening no it's definitely a common experience I don't think it's just yours and I I think the I, I think it there's a lot of issues there. Um, one of which I think is time. It yeah. doesn't mean that it's acceptable, but unfortunately, especially in the UK, we have a very under underfunded health service where GPs only have ten minutes with a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a we don't have a continuity of care. So the G, the GP you see is often a different GP each time, um, and unfortunately, that's from a situation where GPs a lot of GPs work part time. Um, and a lot of that is because it's an incredible stressful job where they can't do the job as well as they'd like to do the job. So they're not doing the job full time anymore. And there's all sorts of elements there. So it's, mm-hmm. I agree, there is, we, we, we need to try and find a way of getting better at that. But at the same time, I would question, is it the doctor's responsibility to do that? Now, it might be. But my, but my question is, is, uh, you know, when it comes to things like stress and and our eating habits and our amount of sleep, and it would be great if the doctor could do all that, but there are, do you know what I mean? Like there are kind of other things there. Like if there are other ways that don't require going to uni for six years yeah. to be able to address some of that stuff and other people that might be better at addressing that kind of stuff than the doctor. Oh yeah, for sure. I think, I don't know, maybe it's just like people... And I guess with me, until I got ill and started research, and I didn't know about all this stuff, like that stress, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I'd done my own research, which has been great. It's been such a great journey to kind of find out all this information. Yeah. Uh, and it's so available for people now. So maybe, I don't know, like I just feel like like people just need to know more about it. And maybe it's not the doctor's responsibility. Maybe, I don't know, I just... I think it people might be. have a person. Might, but... I feel like there's something in my like life mission is to like help people with something around this and mm. bring awareness to it somehow. Because <laughs> but... also, as a doctor, it would be great if the impact of stress wasn't in the diagnosis I was able to make. Do you know what I mean? It would make my job a lot easier. Yeah. Because because as you said, stress has such a massive. There are all sorts of things that have a massive impact on our health: sleep, food, stress. Um, whether or not we actually hang out with people, whether we have any social contact. Yeah, you know, all these things have such a large impact that you can't go into in 10 minutes at the GP, okay. unfortunately. There and you also, even if you could... <laughs> sorry? There should be a leaflet that's something yeah. that's like, these well, are like five things, like, check your life. <laughs> Do you have this? Do you have that? Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that would be a good thing. I, but actually, there are there is a bit of a wave at the moment of what's being called in the UK lifestyle medicine, of 
understanding the impact and and really um, not necessarily understanding because we always understood it, but we didn't value it as much as we should do, I would say, Um, of kind of valuing the impact of things like sleep, nutrition, um, social connectivity, things like that that is important that we're not really addressing. Um, And ironically, although this is slightly off topic, I think I think a lot of this comes from the fact that um, that we don't go to church anymore. Now, bear with me. Whether or not you, whether or not you believe anything to do with religion, yeah. church used to be a community thing. Yeah. So go back thirty years. It used to be a community thing. You used to go every week. You used to meet members of your community. You used to know your members of the community. You used to know your neighbours. You didn't know your neighbours through any other method due to the fact you went to church with them. So. There, I think there is a real element of isolation nowadays where, and there's lots of reasons for that. I just think church is an interesting one to bring up. But there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of isolation where we, like, we don't know who our neighbours are. No. We don't know who the person that lives next door is. Why? Why? Eye contact. Yeah. Like, Why don't we know who our neighbours are? We used to know who our neighbours were. Our neighbours used to go around and like, oh, I'd run out of milk, shit, I'll go and borrow some from the neighbour. I don't know who my neighbour is. Yeah. Like, that's a bad thing. And we that's something that, in the general, I, I, we, I don't know, that's, that's a whole other podcast again. Oh, but. We, we spoke about this recently on a podcast, didn't we, Emily? Yeah, we did. I, was, I think it was like five things to, to bring more happiness into your year or something. Yeah. And one was connection. Yeah. And yeah. Like we'd, I'd read this study that in, in a small town in America, they had such a high rate of people living longer. And they found out it was because, like... Um, they were all Italian and they were all like, I don't know, like they were all together all the time and, you know, other yeah. people weren't. Why are you laughing, Emily? Because <laughs> this is the third time that this story is going to appear on our podcast. I'm very brief on that, but <laughs> <laughs> it's an important point. <laughs> but it is, but so that some of this stuff goes much deeper than a 10 minute conversation with the GP, right? Yeah. So this, that's what I mean by, I don't know if we're best suited to address this stuff. Like, I don't know who is. But, you know, something needs to change yeah. and we need to stop spending all of our time on our phone by ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But for those of us who um, want to find you <laughs> on their phone, where can they find you? Uh, so I, however you want to pronounce it, Dr. Joshua Walrich on Instagram. Um, I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes or something. Yeah. Um, or for for the next month, maybe, you could still type in unfattening because it's, ma- it's a major catchy name. I'm so upset I had to get rid of it. Um, but uh, that's easy to spell as well. <laughs> it will still yeah. come up. You'll still find me. Um, yeah. So just on Instagram. F- and then from Instagram, you can, you can kind, of, kind of follow me on other things as well. Yeah. But I use Instagram mostly. I have a yeah. Patreon as well, which you can you can is an easier way to get hold of me and ask yeah. direct questions. Uh, what Patreon in general? Yeah, I've never heard. Patreon of that. is a it's it's a platform where you can subscribe for a monthly fee, okay. um, and you can then you either get access to content early or you get other benefits. So I'll do live streams over there. Um, I reply to every single message that I get over there at the moment. Um, so I, I get far too many messages on, on Instagram to be able to reply to all of them. I'll try, I try to reply to as many as possible, but I can't reply to all of them. So, I mean, you um, have got one, that, well, what was it? 144k. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's not the easiest. There are certain days I'll wake up to about a hundred new messages and I'm like, I I just, if it's a work day, there's no way I can get through this. No way. So, uh, and that's just, 
you know, it continues, it's ticks, it never ends. No one ever sleeps on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, come and find me. Come find me on Instagram. And then from Instagram, you can, you can find me on all sorts of other things. Fab. Well, thank you very much. So go and um, go find Joshua on Instagram and we will see you next week. If you love being part of the tribe, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and leave a comment or leave a five-star review and we will be back for you next week for more Tribe Talks.